Today we're going to, obviously the the sermon is called, Why Do We Need to Be Born Again? But we're going to take a main text, which which is Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses, and we're going to go through that. That's going to be our main text today. So uh, if you would start turning to that or get your smartphone and and get plugged into that. But while you're looking, I want to show you some pictures. Every week um, or every series, it's my job to come up with background images, videos, that sort of thing, the whole media deal. So uh, this, is, this is what I have for this week. And what I did to get this is I Googled born again. And I came up with a bunch of images. And a lot of times what I do is I try to make things original. I try not to steal everybody else's uh, ideas. But sometimes it gives me ideas on what I could do and kind of get me going in the right direction. So this is what I found. Uh, they're a recycle sign. And I thought, wow, that's, that's great for born again. I can, I can see that. So I took a, a clear um, recycle sign and then I put the words born again in it and kind of made it my own and the whole center thing. And so that's, that's what I came up with. But uh, I want to show you some other images that I found for born again when I Googled it. And it's, it's surprising and it's kind, of, it's kind of bad, but it kind of shows me um, the reason why we need a sermon like this. This, is, this first image is, uh, <laughs> it's musicians sometimes hijack the idea of being born again. Does anybody know who Randy Newman is? Uh, turn on the, the audio. Yeah, the Toy Story music. Is, it, is there no audio? On the right-hand bottom corner, there's one that says Toy Story. It's maybe four or five down. Click on that for a second. <laughs> this is Randy Newman. This, like, so doesn't fit this picture. You've got, got a friend in me. All right, turn it off. That doesn't even fit that picture or be born again. That's Randy Newman. He's done a lot of uh, theme music for movies, and he's got that goofy voice. You got a friend in me. You know, it's like you can just see him at the piano, some goofy guy, you know. With, no, I won't describe just in case you look like him. Uh, that, it's just horrible. But anyway, musicians hijack the idea of being born again. This next image is the notorious B.I.G., who coincidentally is dead. And so his album is called Born Again. I don't know if this was made. I don't, I'm not into rap. I don't know if this was made after he died or before he died, but they like this idea of being born again. Uh, how about TV shows hijack the idea of being born again? What glee has to do with being born again? I have no idea. Uh, or how about religious, religions other than Christianity? Buddhism. <laughs> or uh, how about maybe if you're not into religion and you like the idea of being born again? Just all kinds of images. <laughs> yeah, born again atheist, born again pagan. Like all these ideas of being born again that they have it so wrong and they just don't get this idea, but they like to play with the words here. Uh, I mean, there's more. There's, there's a few different ones. You can throw them through real quick. So let's, this, this shows me that we need a sermon like this more than ever, okay? Let's read Ephesians chapter 2. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not, on, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. John Calvin, in his book, Institutes, wrote this. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that's to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. We may need to understand today, uh, be reminded of two things. Not just the knowledge of God that's hard to understand, hard to accept. That's pretty obvious, right? I mean, it, it is difficult. But the knowledge of ourselves is also hard to understand and accept. It actually might be more difficult. First, in order uh, to have a true knowledge of ourselves, we have to have a true knowledge of who God is. And second, because we tend to think we know ourselves when really we don't. Because we need God to comprehend how bad our condition really is. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be born again. And then in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, being born again is super important, right? Heaven and hell are in the balance of being born again. We'll not see the kingdom of God unless we're born again. So today the question is why? Why do I have to be born again? Why is there not another way, like turning over a new leaf? Knowledge. Maybe oral, moral improvement or building this, this huge knowledge of who God is. There's more to it. Why this radical, spiritual, supernatural thing called the new birth or regeneration? That's the question we'll try to answer today. And I want to point something out real quick. If you've been a Christian for a long time and maybe, you know, just being a Christian in Texas, you've probably heard born again your whole life. It's just so commonplace. And sometimes these commonplace things, we need, to, we need to learn about. We need to understand what's behind the words born again. And not just say, I'm a born again Christian, when you don't really understand completely what that's all about. So that's what we're going to try to do today. Here's the diagnosis. We're all dead. Earlier, I read in Ephesians chapter 2, two times. In verses 1 and in verse 5, Paul says that we're dead in our trespasses. Verse 1 said, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then we go on to verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So two times, Paul describes us as being dead. And the remedy for this verse is in verse 5. God made us alive. 
You'll never experience the fullness of the greatness of God's love for you if you don't see the love and reaction, relation to your former deadness. And now we are alive. This is the same as Jesus saying that we must be born of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit who gives life, which is found in John chapter 6. So the question is, what does this mean, this deadness? Here are 10 of the biblical explanations of our condition apart from the new birth and why it's so necessary. Number one, apart from the new birth, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We just, we just read that, Ephesians chapter 2. Dead implies lifeless, not physically lifeless or morally lifeless, but rather spiritually lifeless. Verse 1 said, we are walking and following the world. So we're not physically dead. Verse 2 says, we have passions of the flesh, and we can carry out desires of the body and the mind. So we're not dead in the sense that we can't sin. We're dead in the sense that we cannot see or feel the glory of God. We're spiritually dead. We're unresponsive to God and Christ in this world. Number two, apart from the new birth, we are by nature children of wrath. Verse 3 says, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In case you didn't get that fast enough, wrath is the underlined word. The point of this is to make clear that our problem is not just in what we do, but in what we are. Apart from the new birth, I am my problem. I'm my biggest problem. My parents are not my main problem. My job's not my main problem. My enemies are not my main problem. I'm my own main problem. Not my deeds, not my circumstances, not the people in my life. But my nature is my deepest personal problem. I didn't have a good nature at the beginning of my life and then uh, did something bad. And then all of a sudden my, my nature changed and I had uh, a bad nature. No. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Started out that way. I didn't become bad. I was bad from the beginning. This is who I am. My nature is selfish. It's self-centered and demanding and very skilled in making other people and circumstances my problem. And if your first response to that is, I know someone like that, you may be totally blind to the deceitfulness of your own heart. Paul describes our nature before the new birth as children of wrath. In other words, the wrath of God is like a parent to us. We belong to it like we belong uh, to our parents. Our nature is so rebellious and so selfish and so callous towards the majesty of God that his holy anger is not only natural, but it's the correct, the right response to us. Number three, apart from the new birth, we love darkness and hate the light. John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than, not, than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. These words from Jesus reveal our nature is apart from new birth. We're not neutral when spiritual light approaches. We resist it. And we're not neutral when spiritual darkness covers us up. We embrace it. People shy away from church because they don't want to be exposed for who they are. The Christians in this community 
don't want to be exposed for who they are. Self-proclaimed Christians. Love and hate are active in the unregenerate heart, and they move in exactly the wrong directions, hating what should be loved and loving what should be hated. Number four, apart from the new birth, our hearts are hard like stone. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says this, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul traces our condition back to ignorance and a hard heart. And this is what it says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It's not just ignorance at the bottom of our problem. There's something deeper. Our ignorance is a guilty ignorance, not innocent ignorance. It's rooted in the heart and the resistant hearts. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 18, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know what suppress is? It's pushing away. It's, I don't want to be near it. And so when Paul says in Romans 1, 18, that we suppress the truth, we push it away. We don't want that. Ignorance is not our biggest problem. Hardness and resistance is our biggest problem. Again, we are the problem. We're guilty of suppressing the truth out of hardness and resistance. Number five, apart from the new birth, we're unable to submit to God or please God. In our youth group, we're going through Romans uh, chapter by chapter, and we came across this verse uh, a few weeks ago. Romans 8, 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh, literally the, the mind of the flesh, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul's reminding his readers that we're all in the flesh. We were born with flesh. And if we don't have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we've set our minds uh, on the flesh, that's, that's all we have. I mean, we don't have anything else to turn to. That is our flesh, 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 flesh. But we as believers can be different. We have flesh, but we have a spirit, a new nature, a spirit of God living inside of us, and that's completely different. So we have a choice. Verse 8 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So in other words, he's contrasting those who are born again and those who do not have the spirit of God inside of them. And uh, those who are, yeah, that's good. John chapter three, verse five says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. The point that Paul is getting to, uh, if you don't have the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can't submit to him, not at all. And guess what? You can't please him either. That means uh, what Paul's literally saying is that if you feed the homeless, if you save the whales, if you save a life and you don't have the spirit of God inside of you, you're not pleasing God. You may be racking up humanitarian points and getting a plaque on your wall for the good things that you're doing on this earth, but God's not pleased with you if you don't have the spirit of God inside of you. It says it right here. So apart from the spirit of God living inside of you, all this stuff is void. It's foreign to God. God's up there going, hey, I can use you to accomplish my will, even if you don't have the spirit inside of you, but I'm not pleased with you. 
I, you know, I mean, you're, really, it's, you're not really gaining anything. You're not gaining any points with me. You're not gaining any, any headway with the one that matters most. God can still use you. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's how dead and dark and hard we are towards God until God causes us to be born again. Notice that I said he causes us to be born again. We don't choose that. Number six, apart from the new birth, we're unable to accept the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul gives us another example into what we're unable to do outside of the new birth. He says, the natural person, that's the unregenerate heart, the person that's not born again, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The problem is not that the things of God are over his head intellectually. It's not an intellectual problem. The problem is that he sees them as foolish. He doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. In fact, they're so foolish to him that he can't grasp them. I think when I read this verse, I think of uh, my friends in New Hampshire where uh, the female is, is a born-again believer and uh, she loves God with all of her heart and her husband resists it. Not that it's hard to understand, but he thinks she's crazy. He's like, you've gone mad. You're crazy. It's folly to him. It's foolish to him. Like, what, what's wrong with you? You're so different. Keep in mind that this moral cannot is not a physical cannot. When Paul says the natural person is not able to understand them, he means that their heart is so resistant to the things of God that the mind justifies them as foolish. This rebellion is so strong that the heart really cannot receive the things of the Spirit. We're talking a real inability, but it's not a coerced inability. The unregenerate person cannot, and he, and he will not. He can't, and he won't. He prefers sin so much that, he, just, uh, that he, he can't choose good. It's a form of bondage, but it's, an, but it's not an innocent bondage. You have a part to play in this. Remember, you're your biggest problem. Number seven, apart from the new birth, we're unable to come to Christ or embrace him as Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Paul declares, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mean that you literally can't say Jesus is Lord. Uh, I mean, if you're able to talk, anybody can say that. Um, but without the Holy Spirit, he means no one can say it and mean it without being born of the Spirit. There's a difference there. It's, uh, it's morally impo- impossible for the dead, the dark, the hard, resistant heart, to celebrate the lordship of Jesus over his life without being born again. Another way of saying that is that you can't surrender your life to Christ without the Holy Spirit's prompting. You can't do it on your own. Or as Jesus says three times in John verse 6, no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. And when that drawing brings a person into a a living connection with Jesus, we call it the new birth. Verse 37 of uh, John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In verse 65, no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. All of these wonderful works of drawing, granting, and giving 
are the work of, of God in regeneration. Without them, we do not come to Christ because we don't want to come. And that's what has to change in the new birth. Can I just point something out here again? How long have our churches been teaching uh, that we come to Christ? As if we have something to do with it. We don't. You can't take credit for finding Christ since when was Christ lost? Sometimes we hear that. And I mean, it's, it's okay, uh, I guess. Sometimes, you know, we say things that we don't really mean it that way. But uh, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear people say, I found Jesus. Really? It's more like he found you. We can't continue walking in the spirit thinking that we have credit in this process. It says in the verses, in the verse we just read, that the Father comes to us and draws us in. The Spirit prompts us. When God comes to us and draws us in, we become aware of our own depravity. And we can't help but to turn to God. God comes to us. It's not the other way around. We don't go to God and then see our own depravity. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. No, it's God comes to us. We see our depravity and we're like, whoa. Uh, like Isaiah, you know, I, I'm unclean before you. It's like you, you see this great God. God has to reveal himself to you. You don't deserve credit in the salvation process. Your credit is being obedient. Again, Christ is not lost. You didn't find him. He found you. Let's read First uh, John chapter 1, the first 10 verses. This is going to be the text for the next three um, reasons that we need to be born again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's a good word. Number eight, apart from the new birth, we are slaves to sin. Paul celebrates our liberation from slavery to sin by thanking God for it. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We were once so in love with sin that we couldn't leave it or we couldn't kill it. Then something happened. The new birth happened. 
God caused us to get a new spiritual life, a new nature that hates sin and loves righteousness. And so Paul thanks God, not man, for this great liberation. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart until God awakens us from spiritual death and gives us the life that finds joy in killing sin and being holy. We're slaves and we can't get free. That's why the new birth is necessary. I don't want to just keep reading and and talking to you without sometimes getting a little bit of interaction. I don't want you to get lost in these words. Sometimes, you know, everything just kind of becomes monotone when you're hearing somebody speak. I want you to, to get this idea that without being born again, without having the Spirit of God inside of you, you don't have a choice but to live a sinful life. You're locked into that, and you don't really have the power to say no to sin because that's all you have. But there's something different. When you get the Spirit of God inside of you, is it not true that you still have flesh on you? Is that true? I mean, those of you that have the Spirit of God living inside of you, do you still sin? We still have that flesh. And there's going to be a day when when our flesh is resurrected and it will be in union really with, with our spirit. But that day isn't here. And so we're still, uh, still going to be fighting sin. The Spirit of God is inside of us. But you know what? We still, we still mess up. But here's the difference. When you have the Spirit of God inside of you, something inside of you wants to do better. And the things that, that, uh, that you used to do, possibly... The things that, that your flesh wants to do, they bother you. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> but there's a difference. It's not like you have the ability to, to be a better person on your own. You don't have that power. You, you don't have that power. Spirit of God, when you start falling in love with Christ, the things that you, uh, you, just, you just start changing. It's like you fall in love with Christ and you just want to be a better person. Naturally, it's not your power anymore that changes you. And you, know, you can't look at somebody and go, hmm, well, they're really, they're pretty sinless. You know what? Don't give them the credit for it. It's the spirit of God inside of them. They just fell in love with him. Something to look forward to. Uh, I just took that totally out of context out of my, out of uh, what I had here. I just kind of threw it out in a different, in a different order. Let's go to number nine. Apart from the new birth, we're slaves of Satan. It was actually pretty good because that was when I was supposed to say it. I just didn't read it. This is one of the terrible things about being spiritually dead. Our deadness is not unnoticed by the devil. It's actually in tune with the devil. Listen to the way Paul describes our deadness in Ephesians chapter two. Verses 1 and 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, the signs that someone is an unregenerate person 
is that their desires and their choices line up with the prince of the power of the air. The unregenerate person might even deny the very idea of a devil. My own dad denies that there's such thing as the devil in hell. And he thinks that uh, he did good enough in his 82 years of life to get a ticket into heaven. He believes in heaven, but not hell. And of course, nothing's more in line with the father of lies than the denial that he even exists. Might have to play that again with audio on. Was convincing the world he didn't play it again. Exist. <laughs> didn't quite work out how it planned. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Anybody know what movie that's from? Really? Wow. The, the movie's called The Usual Suspects. Now, does, does anyone ever... Anyone? It's actually one of the top 100 movies of all times. Uh, <laughs> Joseph's back there, the movie guy. is back there going... Uh, it, it probably is R, so I mean, I'm not like promoting it, going, hey, go see this movie. But uh, that's a good movie. Mm. <laughs> if I were to go around town and I were to ask people, are you going to heaven? And I'm talking about any town, really. What do you think the answer is going to be? Yes. Almost everybody's going to say yes. And so if I were to ask them, really, why do you think you're going to heaven? What do you think the answer is going to be? I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. My own mom gave me that. I remember uh, I had just really started going to a Christian church. Uh, I grew up Mormon, and, and uh, God converted me. And uh, I, was, I was 11, about that. I was sixth grade, something like that. And uh, my mom would, <laughs> this is awesome, she would drive me across town in Phoenix to go to a Christian church. And uh, so I had just gotten this Bible from a friend of mine, and and uh, I was real scared for my mom's salvation. And, and so I said, Mom, you need to get saved. You need to get born again. And, uh, and I said, I, I'm concerned. I want you to go to heaven. And she said, oh, James, I'm going to heaven. I've lived a good life. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> As if that had something to do with your getting into heaven. The most often heard answer is, I've lived a good life. So my reply to that is, so you're perfect. No, no, I didn't say I was perfect. Well, you just said that you've lived a good enough life. Do you not know that God requires perfection? Do you not know that God requires holiness? If you're not perfect, you're not good enough. I'm talking perfect. I'm not talking like well, you know, I went to church all the time or, or I've lived a good life and I don't cuss, I don't use bad words, you know. <laughs> I don't watch R-rated flicks. I only listen to Christian music. All these things that make us have a good life, that's not good enough. If you have ever sinned one time, one time in your life, you're not good enough. If you've ever told a lie, you accidentally clicked on the link to the porn site. 
You accidentally drank a little too much. Oh, how about this? I just, doo doo. Thanks, God. You accidentally drove a mile over the speed limit. They call it a California stop where you don't fully stop. I don't know why California is. I'm sorry, I guess California is a bad name. The California stop where you don't completely stop where your car jerks back and forth at the stop. I was a cop. I used to watch for that. If your car doesn't rock, then you didn't really stop. Uh, if you've done any of those things, guess what? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Um, and because you're not perfect, you need somebody that is perfect to stand in the gap for you. Um, you need somebody to, to be your advocate, to be your Mark Cargill and speak to the judge on your behalf. You need Jesus because God requires perfection and Jesus becomes your perfection. He no longer sees an enemy. He sees somebody with the blood of Christ all over them, the perfect blood of Christ upon them. And then he sees perfection. He sees a born-again believer. Back to uh, the slaves of Satan. If we look at 2 Timothy, and I'm sorry, we're, uh, we're, I'll, I'll go quicker here. If we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, the bondage to the devil is clearly mentioned. This is an exhortation to the ministers on, about how to liberate people from the bondage of the devil. This is the verse. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When Paul says that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that is virtually what happens in the new birth. And here's the key to liberating people from the captivity of the devil. God grants repentance. He awakens the life that sees the ugliness and the danger of sin and the beauty and the worth of Christ. And that truth sets a prisoner free. It's like when you roll over at night and think that your wife is sleeping in your little personal space and it's just a little too close to you, the spiritual light comes on and you realize that it's your dog or your cat. And so when the light comes on, you fling it away. It's the same thing. That's how people are set from the devil, set free from the devil. The spiritual light comes on and the things that you were playing with in the dark are lit up and you see that it wasn't what you thought it was. And until God does the miracle of new birth, we stay in bondage to the father of lies because we love to be able to tell ourselves whatever we please. We love to tell ourselves we lived a good life. Number 10, quickly, apart from the new birth, no good thing dwells in me. Now, this is a, a statement that's hard to understand for the unregenerate who knows that they do a lot of good things and could do a whole lot more evil things if they wanted to. The statement makes no sense to them. There's no good in us before the new birth. What are you talking about? But there isn't anything good inside of us. If it's not done on the reliance of, on God's grace and pursuit of God's glory. So, of course, in one sense, the human person the soul, the mind, the heart, the brain, the eye, the hand, and the human social structures like marriage and family, government, business, they're all good. God made them. He ordains them. He sustains them. It's right that they exist, but they all exist for the glory of God. God commands that we love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. 
He commands that we use all that he's made on, uh, by relying on his grace in order to show his worth. When people use all that God has made without relying on his grace and without aiming to show his worth, they prostitute God's creation. They make it the instrument of unbelief and they ruin it. So when Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I know that nothing good in me, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. That is the reason why he adds the qualifier that is in my flesh. There's something good in Paul after the new birth. Faith is good. The Holy Spirit is good. The new spiritual nature is good. Growing holiness is good. But in his flesh, that is in the person he is by nature, apart from the new birth, there's nothing good. All that was created good is ruined by being, made, uh, being the servant of man-centered concerns and not God-centered concerns. This is our present condition apart from the new birth, apart from regeneration. We are what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, separated from Christ, alienated from commonwealth, the commonwealth of Israel, and the strangers, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is why we must be born again. Without the new birth, our condition is hopeless and we can't fix it with moral improvement. Some of you are uh, fully aware of why you need to be born again. Others need some understanding of that and I hope that you walk away today with a better understanding of the hows and the whys. Um, Some of you are spiritually dead. You might ask yourself, when I sin, do I feel horrible about it? Or do I just barely even notice it? Is sin in my life so rampant that I don't even notice it anymore? If so, that means you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you. You might have thought you did. And I don't mean to step on toes. Well, actually, I do. Seriously, folks. If you're sinning and it doesn't really bother you, that's a really good sign. Spirit of God's not inside of you. Because let me tell you from somebody who understands this, because I sin like, like a bandit. I don't know, that was a good example. But I sin all the time, but let me tell you something. The Spirit of God doesn't like it when I sin. And so I feel it, and I hear it, and I do not feel good about it until I go and I repent. And when God grants me repentance, there's a freedom in that. And if you, if you can sin, if you can lie, if you can cheat on those exams at school, and it really doesn't bother you, and you thought you were a Christian, you thought you were born again, guess again. Just because you come to church on a regular basis doesn't make you not spiritually dead. Some of you have been aware of this, that you were spiritually dead, and today you came to church whether you wanted to or not. God brought you here. You're being prompted by God. This isn't a coincidence We don't call you out at this church and embarrass you, but uh, here's the deal. Today, we've been talking about being born again, and if you'd like to come in, uh, come up here and talk to me afterwards and talk to me about renewing, maybe, that Spirit of God inside of your life, or maybe it's it's a new thing to you to have the Spirit of God come into your life and be what we're talking about, born again, I would love to talk to you about it. So come up and talk to me afterwards. We're going to pray here in a second. Come up and talk to me. I would love to talk to you about it. Pray with you, all of that stuff. Uh, or if, you know, if you're shy and you want me to come to you, put it on the back of your registration card. I'll come to you. I'll call you. 
Uh, this is an important thing. We read earlier that you cannot go to heaven without being born again. 